0: So we are jumping into a brand new series called Waymaker, and we're going to be looking at, through Advent, the people and studying the people who made a way and prepared a way for the Advent of Jesus coming. And that's the whole reason we celebrate uh, these weeks leading up to Christmas, is we look at the lives and we observe the lives of people in the past who created a pathway for Jesus to come and to be Savior of the world for all of us. So as we jump into that, today we're talking about the prophets as the candle was lit for the prophets. We'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 43, and I just want to start off by talking a little bit about who a prophet is and what a prophet's function was uh, during the time of Jesus and before to help us kind of understand and wrap our minds around a little bit about what's going on during this Advent season. So typically you had two spiritual kind of leaders, roughly, in large camps uh, that led Israel. One were priests and one were prophets. And those were kind of the two groups that led Israel and were part of um, the spiritual nature of their uh, um, experience and relationship with God. And so priests would do something individual for the nation and they would um, work on behalf of the people to God. So a priest would represent the nation or the, the followers of God to Yahweh himself. So a priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. The priest would pray on behalf of the people. The priest would um, do all kinds of duties within the temple to represent Israel to Yahweh as sort of an intermediary going, going upward toward God. Well, a prophet sort of had the opposite job. A prophet's responsibility was to come and to actually speak to the people on behalf of God. So they would receive a message, and that message was to come from Yahweh and was to be communicated to his people. And a lot of times it was around um, sin and conviction of sin, that, that you as a nation are doing these things, and you need to come back into right relationship with God. It was also a message of hope, that God still loves you, he's looking out for you, even in the midst of your difficulties and your problems and your challenges, God is on your side. Um, this is, a, this is what it, God is going to do, and it sort of was to announce kind of the advent of any kind of event or thing that was going to take place within the nation. And so there was kind of a predictive nature to the role of a prophet. A prophet would kind of predictively say, here's what's going to happen, here's how it's going to happen, and how God's going to bring it about. And so as we talk about um, what it means to be a waymaker, we're going to talk about how God is a waymaker for us and then how we are invited into that kingdom to be participants as a waymaker as well. So as we study Isaiah, Isaiah was a waymaker. He was a prophet who predicted and sort of prophesied about the coming of God's son into the world and his work within the world to redeem the world to be right in relationship with God. And so as we jump into Isaiah chapter 43, I want you to mark that difference between what a prophet and a priest is, but also to understand that it's a prophet's job to create an avenue for God to do his good work. And so when we jump into Isaiah chapter 43, we find in verse 16 that God is about to say something. And why is God going to say something through a prophet? Because that's what prophets do. God says something to a prophet, and the prophet brings that message to the people of Israel. And so we, today as the church, can sit and we can listen to what God says because his message never changes, although the context in which it is brought does change. So This is what the Lord says, Isaiah writes, and it's no surprise, he's a prophet, he's telling us what God says. But once he says that it is the Lord who brings this message, he he wants to identify who this God is based upon his past activity. So this isn't just some God that Isaiah has spoken with or um, received this message from, this is the God who does these specific things, as we're about to see in the text. So he says, this is what the Lord says. And then he pauses and he says, it's this God who says it. It's he who made a way. So God is the way maker through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. And we just sort of sang that, didn't we? That he splits the sea and allows us to go through. And what Isaiah is doing here as he brings this message is he's identifying who it is that is bringing the message. First of all, being God, but being the God who brings Israel through things. So he's about to say something about who this God is so that we understand the message that comes after what is being identified as this God. And so Isaiah identifies, again, the Exodus experience in which Moses leads the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. And as they are headed out, they run into a major problem. And as they enter the shores of this major problem, there is a complete sea in their way as they are being driven down and beaten down and chased by and pursued By the Egyptians. And so as they turn around, you can imagine they have all their belongings, they have their children, they have everything they could carry in their arms at this point. They're completely homeless and they're directionless, and now they are at the edge of a sea completely helpless. And the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. You can imagine the the dust being kicked up by the chariots and the horses as they, they chase down the Israelite people in their deep regret for ever having let them go. And Israel is then pressed, aren't they, against the sea as they are being pursued by their enemy and they have no way out. It's hopeless. And so Isaiah is reminding us of this story as they stand on the shore and they are completely hopeless in in their problem. They can't solve it. They can't quickly build sort of ferries to to take these people across this this sea before the uh, Egyptians come. And so they're completely dependent upon the God who led them out to do something. And the amazing part about God is he actually doesn't remove the challenge. Isn't that interesting? When you think about it, God does not remove the challenge. And Isaiah wants us to remember this, that God doesn't remove the problems in our lives. He doesn't remove the challenges when they come. He doesn't remove the the trials. What God does is he makes a way. This is what Isaiah wants to remind us of during this Advent season, is is not that God is going to remove all all of the issues going on in your life, all the problem people, all the difficulties and scenarios that you wish would work out. He's actually going to make a way through them. He'll make a way through them. And so Isaiah is reminding Israel, he's reminding us today, really, that God makes a way through the challenges that we are facing, through the difficult times. He creates a path a pathway through that difficulty. He never ever removes it as a way maker. And so what we find is that God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. That's the message in the hope of Christmas, right? That's the message this prophet is bringing to us is that God always makes a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. When you're pressed against the shore, when you're not sure if you're gonna make it through that trial, that difficulty, that heartache, that brokenness, that relationship that's gone askew, the hope of this candle being lit, the message of Christmas is that God will make a way. I mean, the message of Christmas is not the presents. It's not the whether you say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. It's not whether there's a war on it or not. It's not all of that. It's not the gifts or the buying or the merchandising. It's not any of that. Christmas is really about God sending his son to make a way, to make a way for us to be in right relationship with him, to make a way through the path of our sinfulness, our brokenness, our inability to put our lives back together again. It's about Jesus coming and restoring and making whole what was broken because of our decisions and the decisions of others. God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. That doesn't mean the problem disappears. It doesn't mean the trial just disappears and goes away. It doesn't mean that that relationship isn't gonna be rough for a while. It just means that God will make a way, that we can have faith. And that's the message that Isaiah wants to bring to us. God will make a way no matter what. So continuing and identifying who this God is, he's the one who makes a way, but he's the one also who drew out the chariots and the horses. So not only did God sort of deal with this problem in front of them by creating a way through it, he also then used it to absorb the next problem, didn't he? Think about that for a moment. Because as he splits the sea and he creates an avenue through this problem and Israel heads through that issue, their second problem, the Egyptians who are bearing down and pursuing them, are swept up by the first problem. God sort of creates an avenue for all of that to happen. So he drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. Next verse. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying, this is the God that you love. This is the God that you serve. This is the God who looks out for you in the middle of all of your challenges. Not only will he provide a way that he will will create a solution to the problems after the initial problem, that somehow he will work it out. Somehow it will come to fruition, whatever that is. And that brings us hope during Christmas, doesn't it? It brings us hope. So this is the God who speaks and now we're ready to receive the message. Now that we've had the background, we're we're completely understanding who it is that is speaking to us. It's this God who prepares a way for us. This is what this God says, Isaiah writes. Forget the former things. Wait a second, we were just talking about the former things. We were just talking about the miracle of what God did on Israel's behalf. And now Isaiah is saying, forget all that. Forget all that. Hold on to the things that matter, like God brought you through. But let go of the former things. And here's why. Because when the Israelites were led through uh, the Red Sea, when things actually started to get difficult in the wilderness, and suddenly there wasn't food, and, and suddenly there wasn't water, do you remember what the discussion became by committee? The discussion was why don't we go back? Why don't, why don't we go back to where we came? Because at least, at least there we had food and we had water and there was predictability even though we lost our freedom and our ability to worship our God. We'll give that up to just fill our stomachs. And so they actually get really angry at Moses and Aaron they really get angry because they think the, that these two have led them to their deaths. And so they start, they start a chant, right? They begin to, it's like mob, the mob is starting to come out. And they begin to chant, like, let's go back, right? They probably had a slogan and, and uh, poster board and stuff. They're like, let's go back, right? And what God is saying in the midst of all that is forget those former things. Leave those behind. You have to let those go. Don't dwell on the past. And so what is your hope today? What is going on in your life? What is that challenge? What is that trial? What's that difficulty? Have you forgotten the former thing? Have you left it? Whatever it is, is it a relationship that went south? Is it a hurt that you incurred? Is it a difficulty that you faced? And you're holding on to that. You're nursing that difficulty. You're nursing that hurt. You're living in the victimhood of it. The message of Christmas is forget that. Don't dwell on it. Maybe you're having a hard time getting over the guilt of decisions that you made and the regret that you carry with you in your life. Maybe you're thinking back to those things and you're still maybe even suffering some of the consequences of the decisions that you made, the fallout that became of it, that your life is still trying to get collected in the middle of it all. The good news is what Isaiah would say to us this Advent season is forget that former thing. Don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on it. While it's wonderful and it's amazing that God did this wonderful thing for Israel, there's something else that's going to happen. He's about to declare that and we'll see that in the message. Forget the former thing, do not dwell on the past. So we must let go of the past to live as a way maker in the present. And we're going to turn the corner here and we're understanding that God makes a way and then he uses us to make a way for other people. That you and I, when we follow God, when we become lovers of Jesus, we actually are called to be waymakers in the lives of other people. We're called to be waymakers. We're called to be that, that person, not, not a prophet or a priest per se, but a person who can make a way for somebody else. A person who can carve out a pathway for other people. Not removing the problem, we could never do that. Not, not getting rid of the trial in the person's life, but actually just making a way. It's making a way for somebody to know God deeply. So we have to, as waymakers, we have to let go of the past if we're to live in the present, all right? And so then this is the message that comes after that. Not only forget the former things and leave the past behind, don't dwell on it, but then um, Isaiah goes on to write, he says this, God is declaring, see, I'm doing a new thing. And of course, we understand this as followers of Jesus to be predictive of what is becoming the fruition of Jesus, as this is God's plan all along to make a way for humanity to be reconciled to God. And so he's saying, forget the former things. I mean, only if the Pharisees and the Sadducees had heard this message, right? Even if, if they had just read Isaiah 43, that when Jesus came, they might have recognized him. But they weren't willing to forget the former things. They weren't willing to let go and not dwell on the past. And so you, my friends, and I are invited to no longer hold on to those things that prohibit us for moving forward and knowing God in deeper ways. See, I'm doing a new thing, God declares through Isaiah. Now it springs up, and then there's this question wrapped around it. Do you not perceive it? Now, why would a question like that be asked by a prophet as the message is brought to the people? Why would God, as he sends this message, need to ask that question? But that there's a possibility we might not perceive it, right? Right? There could be the danger that we actually not perceive what's going on in the new thing. That we could actually become so attached to our way of doing things. That's not you though, right? Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. We can become so attached to our way of doing things and seeing things and understanding the world that we actually can't see what God is up to right now in our lives, and the lives of other people that we love, in our relationships, in our difficulties, in our trials? Because my guess is, is, in those difficulties, challenges, and trials, there's usually somebody else involved, isn't there? Right? And you can't control them, and you can't make it right, and you can't do it so that everybody's happy. But are you so holding on to those grudges, those hurts, that bitterness, are you so holding on to those moments of distrust, that you fail to perceive the new thing that God is wanting to do in you and in the people around you? Are, are we church so stuck in holding on to our traditions and the way we've done things for years that we can't even see the new thing that God wants to do in us and in the community around us? Are we so stuck on our high moralism that we fail to see what God is working in the lives of people who don't live like us? Are we so grounded and held on to our traditions that we miss the new thing that God is bringing up in our own midst? That's why the question has to be asked. Do you not perceive it? And the amazing part of this is, is like, God created us all differently and individually. And some of us perceive it immediately. They're called early adopters. They see it, they see a new idea, and they jump on it. But you know what the problem is with early adopters? You're all proud of yourselves right now. Yes, we perceive it before everybody else. It's awesome. The problem is you don't stick to it, right? Because I'm an early adopter, so I grab onto a new idea until there's a new idea. And once there's a new idea, I leave the former things behind and I do not dwell on the past, right? Even though that new idea never came to fruition because I love new ideas, and so I move on to the next new idea. That's the downside of being an early adopter. The upside to being a late adopter is when they actually adopt, when they actually come to accept the change, late adopters actually will will own it. Early adopters I worry about because they, they will they will grab onto it until the next new idea comes. And then there's like the middle adopters, which is most of us. Most of us kind of fall into that category where it just takes a little bit of time, then we get used to the change, we embrace it, and then we move on and, and usually we'll own it. But we're kind of, in, some of us are kind of in the middle, but there's we're all different in how we perceive this thing. And so Isaiah is asking us, do we perceive it? Do you perceive it in your life, the new thing that God is up to in your life? And so really we have, to, we have to perceive before we can receive. Before we can receive the new thing, we actually have to perceive what's going on. Or we miss the new thing. The new thing walks right by us. The new thing stands up in a synagogue and reads out of Isaiah and then folds it back up and says, Today, this has been fulfilled in you. And then they try to run him off a cliff because they don't perceive, so they can't actually receive what God is doing. And so this Christmas season, as you think through what Advent's all about, as you think through what the season is all about, as Marilyn so, so wonderfully and articulately said to us that we can find calm in the midst of all of this stuff that really has nothing to do with Christmas, but culturally we've identified it as Christmas. Question for you and me is will we perceive what God is up to in our lives in the midst of the difficulty, the busyness, and the distraction? Do you perceive what God is doing in you? Do you perceive what God is doing in the people that you've had difficulty with? Because if you can't perceive what God is up to in the lives of the people you love but are having struggle with, you'll never be able to receive them into right relationship with you. And you will never be able to receive them in the right relationship with you if you continue to dwell on the past and hold on to those hurts. God's made a way. He's not taken the hurt and put it over here. He's not removed it, although he can heal. He's made a way through it. And that way through it is his son, Jesus Christ. And that's who we worship today. Isaiah continues to write and he says this. God is saying, I am making a way in the wilderness. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland And what the hope of this and what Isaiah is bringing hope to the people is, he's saying, even in the midst of your despair, even in the midst of what looks like a complete wasteland where there's no life, there's no sign of life, there's no no hope in the middle of it, God makes a way. He doesn't take away the desert. He doesn't take away the wilderness. He actually brings a stream to it so that life can flourish. So God doesn't take away the context He brings his life into the context. And when he does that, amazing things happen. And the question becomes do you perceive God bringing himself into your context? Or are we so focused on the problems, so focused on the lack of resource, that we fail to see God himself, who is the provider and the greatest resource we could ever have, is coming into the midst of that lack of resource? God's presence is there for you and for me. He's making a way in the wilderness. Continuing then the next verse, the wild animals honor me. Now this is so interesting because if you think about uh, ancient literature, if you even think about modern literature, all of these things fit in context, don't they? And and the problem is is we go verse by verse, even on the screen because we don't have room and all that. But that's just the, the way we tend to read scripture anyway is by verse. But let's keep it in its context. The question was, do you not perceive it? And then the statement is made, the wild animals do. So God's creation, humanity, who have all of the faculties given to them and the giftedness that's been given to them and the sense of self-awareness and ability to communicate and a sense of selfhood which, which animals don't have are missing the new thing. But those who just operate on base instinct, the wild animals, they actually see it. This is an ancient insult. Are you picking it up? Are you feeling insulted yet? That's what Isaiah is saying. It's all of creation recognizes this new thing. Except for us. Because we're dense. We hold on to the past. We hold on to our hurts. And we don't see through them. We only see the problem rather than the God who brings us through the problem. The wild animals honor me. The jackals, oh, you had to bring up the jackals. Please tell me they don't get it. Please tell me jackals don't get it before me. And the owls, who? Okay, stupid joke. The owls. Don't applaud it, please. You'll just encourage more. The jackals and the owls. Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There's that promise again. That God makes a way. He brings life. He brings himself into the context in which we need him. Do you not perceive it continuing he says here's the rest of his message to give drink to my people that's interesting he brings up the wild animals because you think that the statement might be to provide life to the creation but it's actually not that it's to bring drink actually to the people to bring a resource to bring life to the people who are the ones missing the whole thing and then he reminds them again that you're chosen Even in the midst of your problem, even in the midst of your pain, your despair and your brokenness, you're chosen. You're a chosen person. You're a chosen person because Jesus chose you. And he chose every single one of us if we will step into that chosenness. He desires to adopt every one of us into his family if we will be adopted. The interesting thing is, will our pain and our heartache of not being adopted keep us from actually wanting to be adopted? That's a scary thing to let go of, isn't it? It's all we know. And so we're chosen, Isaiah says, it's such a message of hope. The people I formed for myself, I put you together. Why would I not care for you? It's the thing I forget sometimes in my own faith as I walk with God and I go through struggle and I go through difficulty and I, I fail to realize that he'll be there when I doubt that he's there for me, when I wonder in the middle of all of that turmoil that's going on, whether God will come through for me or not. I have to remember actually that he created me If he created me, he cares about me. I mean, my kids have done some of the ugliest art. They really have. Don't tell them that. They're not here, so I can talk about them that way. But they've really done some ugly art. I mean, when you're three, it's not pretty. And and I remember they would turn out coloring page after coloring page. It had like one color on it, and it was all outside the lines, and it just was all over the place. And they'd walk up so proud, and they'd say, Daddy, I made this for you. And I have thrown countless numbers of those away. I didn't keep them all. I kept a few, but I didn't have enough room to keep all of them. And why did I keep them? Why were they so proud of them? Because they created them. They formed them themselves. And when you care about something like that, when you have created it, when you have breathed life into it, when you have made it what it is, that is yours. It is an extension of yourself. It is an expression of yourself. And you don't trash that. That's very dear to your heart, and it's the way God sees us. He formed us and made us, and he breathed life into us. If you go into Genesis and you read all of the creation account, by the way, have you noticed that God says a lot of things, and a lot of things come into being? He says, let there be light, and what happens? There's light. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? I could say, let there be light, and nothing happens. But God says, let there be light, and light becomes reality. And then he can separate the the waters, right? He can create the sky and create the ocean and creates all the living things, the scripture says. But you know what's really interesting? Have you ever noticed this in Genesis? That God, when he forms humanity, it is the only time he gets his hands dirty. Do you notice that? He doesn't speak humanity into being. He doesn't say it. The scripture says that he took the clay of the earth and he formed us. When God made you and me, he actually touched us. Everything else he just said, or he created, or he just waved his hand, or whatever, but it is only us that he got himself dirty for. And our Heavenly Father has been getting himself dirty ever since. To the point of sending his Son to die for us. That's the God who loves you, and who has not only chosen you, but who has formed you, For himself. That, now we're given purpose, we may, we can jump back real quick so I can wrap that up. That'd be good. Thank you. So that we have a purpose that they, us, may proclaim my praise. So, are we going to join with the wild animals in honoring God or not? They're already doing it. That's why Jesus said the rocks will cry out. Because all of creation is already doing it. We're the blind fools who fail to get into the party. And yet, we are the VIPs in the party. And so we were created to not only understand that God is making this new way for us and he is providing a way through for us, but then in it then we begin to proclaim and we begin to praise and God receives that wonderful praise. Praise. That he wants to be honored for what he's doing in your life and in my life. And so as we talk about the next few weeks coming up, this is just an introduction. We need to understand that really to become a waymaker, now we can go there, thank you. Becoming a waymaker really begins with leaving the past and perceiving in the present. It means two things, and as we jump into this series, it means leaving the past. Whatever that past is, whatever it is in your life, that relationship where trust was lost or brokenness came into being or uh, some sort of split happened or a difficulty financially, whatever it is where you've been treated unfairly, where you've been marginalized, where you've lost hope, whatever it is, I think the message of Christmas is are you willing to leave that behind? Are you willing to let that go? Because you cannot be a way maker if you are unwilling to let that go. And then perceive in the present, what is God up to now? What is he up to in your life? What is he up to in the lives of the people around you? What is he up to in uh, the difficulty and the struggle that you're going through? What is he doing? What's the new thing? Do you perceive it is the question. Do you perceive it? And so here's the question that we'll sort of be jumping into and working through for the next few weeks, and it's this. How can you be a waymaker this Christmas season? How can you be a waymaker in the life of somebody else? For some of us, it might be giving some money away. For some of us, it might be giving some coats to the basket that's back there that one of our small groups is doing to to, uh, uh, give people some warmth during the Christmas season. Maybe maybe it's actually having a conversation that's difficult that you need to have. It could be the extension of an apology to somebody. It could be repentance. That's what an apology is. It's a repentance to somebody. It's coming to them and saying, you know what? I completely messed that up. I've hurt you. I have disappointed you. I have um, done things, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that have left our relationship broken. And I own that part of it. And I want you to know I want to make it right. Maybe it's that conversation. How can you be a waymaker? to a right relationship with somebody else or for somebody else to have a right relationship with you. Maybe it's inviting somebody to do Christmas Eve service. Maybe it's just living your life in such a way that it draws people to your heavenly father. What is it that you need to do? How can you, this is a question we'll be asking the next month. How can you be a way maker this Christmas season? How can you be the provision that somebody else needs as God has provided a way for us and then he's invited us to provide a way for the people?